Have you ever wondered if you could make a difference? This podcast brings you inspirational people who are making a tremendous difference. We will also be talking to experts in the field of creating the mindset you need so that nothing holds you back from making your vision a reality right now. Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast. And now, here's your host, Michelle Dutro. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Game Changer Podcast. Boy, I tell you what, this is going to be a fun one. Laura and I have had a little bit of pre-chat already coming up into this interview, and I have a feeling it's going to be every bit as much enlightening as it is going to be fun and entertaining. So now a little bit about Laura. I really, and I am honestly very excited. It's not very often that I spend more time laughing with somebody as I meet them than I do actually learning about them, so it'll be good. So Laura Roeder, she is the founder of Edgar, a new social media automation tool designed to prevent updates from going to waste. If you guys haven't heard about Edgar or Meet Edgar, then you're under a rock because I was just telling her in the last several weeks alone, everywhere I turn, it's everywhere. So uh, I can't wait to learn more about that. Since 2009, she's been teaching entrepreneurs how to harness the power of social media marketing and create their own fame at LKR Social Media. Catch that. Those are her initials. Laura was named one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under 35 in 2011, 2013, and 2014, and spoke at the White House about the value of entrepreneurship. That's absolutely phenomenal. Understand that I could go on and tell you where she has spoke uh, at influential industry conferences. Trust that it's everyone that exists. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. She's also been on Fox News, Forbes, CNET, the LA Times, Fast Company, like I said. I don't think there's anywhere she hasn't been. And and she's here. So I think she can check the box of saying, done. I have now, <laughs> I've hit it all. So with that, Miss Laura, is there anything that I left out that our listeners should know about you before we launch into our conversation? Oh, no, they're about to learn plenty about me. All right. Good, good. Okay. So before I jump into how you got to where you are, I want to be a little more clear for people about exactly what it is you do. And then we're going to back the train up a little bit. So what do you do right now? Yeah. So I'm the founder and CEO of a software company called Edgar, and we are a social media recycling tool. You put all of your social media updates, all of your blog posts and inspirational quotes and all that good stuff. And Edgar handles sending it out for you. And he, we like to call Edgar he instead of it. He cycles through them over and over again. So all of your old blog posts that never see the light of day, you just give them to Edgar and he makes sure that you're driving traffic from social. Awesome. And how long ago did you create this? Just about a year and a half ago. And how are you doing now? How's it going? We're at about 200,000 a month revenue. How crazy. It's going well. That's so exciting. <laughs> yes, it is. And if you didn't guess, I think I said here, uh, named one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under 35. So you're just a kid and really killing it. Yeah, <laughs> that's you. awesome. So yes. Yeah, so all right. Now that we know what you're doing and heading this whole company up at a very young age, going back in time, did you always know that this is what you were meant to do? Obviously, it's not, you know, back in the day, the internet and social media really wasn't a thing. But I guess being an entrepreneur and wanting to run your own company and go your own way, was that always the spirit that you had? Or, or you know, were there twists and turns that maybe had you wind up where you are now? Yeah, so I wasn't interested in entrepreneurship as, you know, a kid or a teenager or anything like that. I mean, I was 
bossy. Isn't there a thing now where you're not supposed to call little girls bossy anymore? Like you're supposed to say something else. Unless you uh, read the book Bossy Pants and then it's pretty right. funny. So yeah, yes. I was definitely like the one who was always in charge, the one, in, you know, wanted to be line leader, wanted to be on the stage, whatever. But I didn't really think about owning a business. I came into entrepreneurship very young though. I started working for myself when I was 22, you know, which now that I'm 31 is how I'm able to, you know, kind of be doing pretty well because I have already been doing it for a while. So I was working as a designer at an ad agency. I wasn't interested in doing just the design. I wanted to do the strategy and all the client side stuff too. And I thought, well, if I quit my job, then I'll get to do, you know, all the different parts. So that's what I did. Okay. So you realize when you say, if I quit my job, here's what I get to do. Most people (laughs) don't frame it that way, which is its own cool thing. So most people look at, oh my gosh, if I quit my job, here's what I'm going to risk or here's what I'm going to lose or, right? So there had to be a point in time where there seemed like a great deal of risk involved with taking the next step. Take me back to that time for people that maybe are wanting to launch something or wanting to quit their job or go out on their Mm -hmm. own. So for somebody like you, who's already been through that and quite successfully, what was Mm -hmm. a risk you feel like you did have to take? And what did you do to get through that? I mean, I've taken obviously a lot of risks along the way. And, you know, thinking specifically about that first big one, I tried to hedge it at first. I actually asked my company if I could work part time because I was just sitting around bored anyway, which is another thing I didn't like about the job. So I figured, you know, you can pay me part time, I'll work part time, and I'll still get the same amount done. And they said yes, but then they said no right before I was supposed to start, you know, like maybe two days before I was going to start part time. The owner called me into her office and she said, well, if you want to go part-time, everyone is going to want to go part-time, mm-hmm. which was pretty funny because that would have been a great decision for their business because no one had anything to do, but they clearly didn't see it that way. So at that point I had, you know, I had already mentally like was so excited about working for myself that I was just like, okay, well I quit then not in any kind of dramatic way, but just, you know, this isn't going to work for me because I don't want to have a full-time job anymore. And when I thought about the risk, I mean, this is still how I think about things. I always try to think about the worst case scenario. And that might sound kind of negative, but actually I find the real worst case scenario is often much better than the weird fantasies that you have exactly. in your right. head. Yep. And, you know, a specific detail I remember, I was living in Chicago at the time and there was an Aldi in my neighborhood. And if you live in a state where you don't have Aldi, Aldi is this discount grocery store. Which, okay, I thought you were saying an Audi, like you had a state where there was like one Audi in the whole, like everybody drove a BMW instead. Okay, Aldi. got it. No, there's not yeah. that here. Got and a you. discount grocery store is is just as grim as it sounds if you're not uh, familiar with the concept. Like they don't have shelves, they just have like boxes of the stuff stacked up. And there was one in my neighborhood that I would shop at. And I was like, you know what? If I don't have any money, like I'll just shop at Aldi. They've got some beans for like 25 cents. I'll be able to survive. Nice. And you know, like a lot of listeners, right? I have family I could go to. If my immediate family rejected me, I have aunts and uncles I could go to. I have friends. I could get a job, God forbid. You know, I thought about all the options. And for me, like the worst case scenario is that I would have to find another job. And that's what I was doing already. So that kind of helped bolster my confidence. 
Now, back then, you know, and again, being young, you probably are surrounded by a bunch of young people who also are energetic and fired up and all of that. But were there any people in your periphery at all that were, you know, negative or, you know, you're kind of a dreamer and that's, why would you, hey, just keep the job, build that up. When that thing takes off, then quit your job. You know how those people are that are risk adverse or, right. or trying to look out for your own best interest. So when those people showed up or those voices, whether they were internal, external, how'd you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, one, I had a huge advantage in life, which is that my my parents ran a business. So my dad's an architect and my mom would like help keep the books of the business. So I think that helped me a ton because I know for so many people, entrepreneurship is just this extremely foreign concept and they don't know anyone who does it and, you know, just rich people do it. That's just how my family made money is, you know, my dad had clients and he would design houses for them. So I think it seemed not so crazy to me and my parents didn't think it was crazy because freelance designer, you know, my dad had started being a a freelance architect when he was very young. And I think a good thing about being so young too, is that, I mean, most of my friends didn't even have real jobs, you know, like they didn't, they didn't think it was that weird. Like no one was really up to anything anyway. (laughs) So I think, I think I was lucky being so young that I didn't have to deal with as much of that as a lot of people do. So, okay, here you are young. You don't have a lot of distractions or detractors for that matter. How in the world do you get to be named one of the top 100 entrepreneurs so many years in a row? (laughs) Obviously, you're doing something far more right than ever wrong. So what, what is that? What do you think is making you truly so successful? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. I've, I've been very decisive and looking back in my journey, that's something that really stands out because I see other people, you know, now that I've, especially now that I've been online longer, I've been on all these lists. Like I remember like in 2009, I was like on a like top bloggers to watch in 2009 on pro blogger or copy blogger. So it's interesting in retrospect, because now I can go back to 2009 and look at the other people on the list, right. And be like, okay, you know, what have other people done? And with people who maybe haven't had as much success, a big theme that I see is not really committing to things or a lot of jumping around or trying to sort of hop on the next bandwagon, which, you know, being in the social media space, there's been a lot of that because it's got really popular for a while to do social media consulting, then it got less popular. So I think being decisive in, in constantly moving forward and being able to really honestly evaluate what's been successful too. Often people have so many projects and so many threads they're following and they don't really know what's working. You know, just asking people stuff as simple as like, where does your business come from? You know, where do your customers come from? Have you actually looked to see it? A lot of people haven't. And I love business and I've always studied business. Hmm. Okay. So, so dissecting this here a little bit, there's a couple of key things you said. One is obviously having the ability to make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. And being very clear about who you are and then sticking to that and not jumping around over the next shiny thing that shows up. Mm-hmm. Have you had a, a good mentor or somebody that along the way, I mean, maybe that just intuitively came to you and you knew, hey, I'm just going to see this thing through to the end because that's the right way. Or has mm-hmm. there been a mentor or two along the way that said uh, that you have followed, whether it was, you know, somebody that you read about or somebody that you knew personally mm-hmm. that you followed saying, no, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try this a different way and I'm going to go down this path. I've had a lot, a lot of mentors and I think a lot of it has been, I mean, I've definitely received direct advice from them, but I think I've just always admired people who have really worked hard to build something really solid. I mean, one of my earlier mentors that I met 
when I was just first freelancing, owned a lingerie shop in Chicago. And, you know, it's not like it was any kind of prominent business or like anyone knew who she was, but it's hard to keep (laughs) a lingerie shop open for a long time, you know? And she had, and she learned a lot about managing a business and managing employees. And I've had a lot of great mentors along the way like that who were willing to give me advice. And then just for me to look at that, that they've built something really lasting. So you're touching now on what is really a cool aspect and kind of the backdrop to our entire conversation or how mm-hmm. I see you as a game changer. And and it's what we talked about right before we hit the record button. And that's the thing that you value the most or your legacy or, you know, at the end of this whole thing, what game will you have changed is, is that companies really look at employees in a different light, that they're not just a number or not just a, you know, a, a human resources, mm. uh, you know, liability or hazard or headache or whatever it is that, that they really are people and individuals and that this matters greatly to you. One, I'm curious as to why that matters so much to you. Mm. And two, that'd be another thing. Have you always felt that way? Or has this been just kind of evolving in, in watching this mentor and how she treats her employees and how you keep that retention around that that's really become a driving force? Or has that always been there? When I worked at the ad agency, which is the only real job that I've ever had, people were were mean to each other there all the time. It was very normal. And I think most people have experienced that in in their workplace. In my case in particular, it was there was a lot of drama and the person who was my supervisor wanted me to like turn against someone else and I wouldn't and then she turned on me. It's just ridiculous, you know, middle school level stuff. But that's very common at work. And when I first started, you know, first just working with people as freelancers and then hiring people. I mean, I think I had the blessing of not spending long in the corporate world and not having to unlearn a lot. Instead, it was just like, well, obviously I'm just going to treat people in a way that I would want to be treated. And obviously there can't be anything like that at work. I've just, I've never had an incident with anyone that I've worked with since I've owned my own companies of people being unkind towards each other. And actually we have kindness as one of our top company values that we that we hire for now. And it's just something to me, we spend so much time at work. I mean, it's very normal to work eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. It's very normal now to work much more than that. And a lot of people just kind of write it off like, well, of course work is going to suck. And of course there's going to be drama with your coworkers. Uh, just things we wouldn't stand for in a lot of other parts of our life. And I just don't see any reason why it needs to be that way. Okay, so someone's listening right now, and whether they own a small company, well, I don't know, small, how many employees do you have? Let's qualify that. We have like 16, 17 now. Okay, so if somebody has, you know, whether it's roughly that size, you know, a little bigger, even if it's a huge company, but Mm -hmm. they manage a department, right? Mm -hmm. It's relatively all the same. Yeah. And they right now are struggling with morale issues or, you know, backbiting, people talking behind people's backs. If you were to be their advisor, their mentor, and they were to come to you and say, you know, I have these 10 or 15 people that I manage, and for whatever reason, camaraderie's not there, you know, there's more mistrust than anything, and I just don't know what to do, what would Mm -hmm. your advice be of saying, hey, here's some things to look at that you might want to uh, employ? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, I'm just feeling like I should give the caveat that I'm very much figuring this out. This is, this is a passion of mine. Obviously there's a lot of people who've been doing it a lot longer than I have that, you know, I've been able to learn from. So I think the first thing is to decide what kind of workplace you're going to have and then stand by it. I mean, it's easy to say, 
you know, no talking about people behind their backs, but, but then the leaders do it. Right. And they're like, right. I mean, everyone else should right. talk about people or you've actually inadvertently sort of baked it into how people give feedback. Like if you never give anyone direct feedback, for example, and that's not part of what you do, the feedback is going to happen one way or the other. So, I mean, that would be the first thing I would look at. Like, what are your values really? And you have to get <laughs> you have to get honest about that, you know, about what you're going to model top down and, and from what you really value top down. So tell me if you had your top three values, obviously, as you're interviewing people and hiring people and they sit down with you, when you talk to people, what is that for you? What, what is most important? Well, this is something we document very clearly. So I know what ours are at our company, their kindness, ownership, and what we call value for value. Okay. Let's talk about the value for value. Yeah. What is that? So value for value. I think Christina on our team coined it. And I don't know if she like came up with it on her own too. And it, it also came from like something that I learned about business early on that really has really stuck with me and really shaped how I do things is that business is about providing an even and fair exchange of value. So when we sell someone Edgar for $49 a month, we give them a service and they give us $49 and both sides have to feel good about that. And, you know, when you employ someone, you give them money, you give them a place to work, they give you a large part of their time, they give you, you know, their talents, and it's value for value. So value for value means that in everything we do, whether it's look for a freelancer to work with or provide a new feature of our software, we want to make sure that everything is in balance and that we're always providing value. Okay. So phenomenal. And thank goodness that I just didn't come, you know, ripping into that. Like I knew all about that because uh, I don't know that girl or, or what she crafted that from. So that's a good thing I actually asked and didn't act like I knew exactly what you were talking about. So thank goodness I didn't fake my way through that. And I, and I agree, right? I agree that, that whatever it is we're charging or whatever are that exchange is, is that both parties really feel that they're, they're getting the better end of the stick. And then, you know, mm -hmm. you're doing your job. So let's roll this back. I'm now going to be somebody who's just graduating from college and I am looking for, whether it's a startup or a young company or any company for that matter, but I'm thinking mm -hmm. I want to start out getting a job before I you know, go off on my own. And I want to evaluate that culture of a company first outside of whatever the task is. I want to make sure that it's a place that I'm going to be happy at. Mm -hmm. What would be some things that you should be observant of in that role outside of because every company does typically have a value statement, a mission statement, what they stand for, mm -hmm. but then it's quite different. And sometimes what the truth of that is. Yes. yes. So if somebody were to go in and be observant, let's say they could say, Hey, you get to be mm -hmm. employee for a day and just walk around and be observant. What would the things be that mm -hmm. you would say, you know what, this is what you want to be on the lookout for. Right. I mean, the top thing is definitely how people communicate with each other. So something that we assume at our company is we assume that everyone is doing their best. And so when you make that assumption, it really changes the way that you interact with people. Because instead of looking as to, you know, figure out what their motivation was for screwing something up, if you assume that they didn't mean to screw it up, <laughs> right. you start to look at, okay, well, why, why did that happen? Is there a problem in our system of how we're communicating? Is there a problem in our system of how we're, you know, storing information, how we're distributing resources. There's lots of different options. A book that I really love is called Coaching for Improved Work Performance. It has a terrible title. It's by a man called Ferdinand Foundries. And it's one of his 
big things that he talks about is if you ask managers why employees messed up, they'll be like, they weren't motivated. They just don't care. You know, they just like couldn't be bothered. But it's actually pretty unusual that an employee will say that. Like someone has to really hate their job to get to that point of like actually sabotaging something on purpose. And it's very often things like, well, it's because they had me do this task, but I know that it's pointless or I know that they're just going to redo it or they make me enter it this way. But if you're on the floor, it actually doesn't make sense that way. It makes sense to do it another way instead. So looking at, you know, are people assuming the best out of each other? Are people assuming that someone has been hired to bring in those talents. Like every person that we bring on the company, it's because they're going to make the company better. So everyone really respects their talents instead of like assuming they don't know what they're doing. Well, that's huge, by the way, right? I mean, that really is. It's uh, whether it's they're doing their best benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt, it really is coming mm-hmm. from a totally mm-hmm. different framework right. other than the blame game. Right. Uh, what do you think that person's right. agenda is? And, you know, sabotaging, you know, to make me look bad so they look better. And that really does eliminate all of that. Mm-hmm. But to the point, that's a culture that every single person has to uphold. And then mm-hmm. as soon as somebody starts to drift, that course correct is so important. <laughs> so, yeah, I would love to hang out at your company for a day and just check it all out because it really is the ideal and it is how it should be. And I think as I was listening to you, not just in work relationship, But in personal relationships, Mm -hmm. right? So when somebody says something that maybe hurts our feelings or we take the wrong way, assuming they're not here to hurt me. So is there a way that I could have taken that wrong or could I ask how they meant that before I assume the worst? Absolutely. And just, you know, in all sorts of little interactions with people, right? When someone is a jerk to you when you're driving, instead of taking it personally, I'm just being like, they are having a bad day over there. Like, I like to imagine, like, I have a one-year-old. I like to sort of imagine them like a cranky, a cranky baby, you know? Right. <laughs> and then you don't, right. you don't feel upset about it. You're like, ooh, cranky baby over there. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, I do the same thing of what happens if that person seriously just now got a phone call that said someone mm-hmm. that they love was just in a car accident and they have mm-hmm. a half hour to live. You don't know. You have, if you just got cut off and someone's doing 100 miles an hour, who knows what their story is? I'm just glad it's not mine, right? And it's just a whole different thing. I read a great thing in it. There's a self-help author named Ogmandino. Do you know? Ogmandino, yeah, okay. I do. Yeah, and mm-hmm. in one of his books, he said to treat everyone as though it's their last day on earth, but they don't know it. That's right. A little morbid, but it's ex- that's exactly right, right? We don't, right. you don't know. So to judge somebody as though you know their whole story and what they're about and where they're headed is it's lunacy, let alone to bring frustration into your life when you don't even know what the what is also makes absolutely no sense. Mm. So yes, yeah, you and I feel the exact same way. And I really do. Anytime something like that happens, I, on that same assumption of assuming people are doing their best, is I don't know what they're going through, but it really must be quite horrible, right? I mean, who knows? Mm. So, mm. okay. So since we are so on the same page here and I, I'm loving talking to you, if somebody's saying, okay, I love what she stands for. I love this company. And if there's any service that I'm going to buy, I like to make sure it's a company with integrity and they stand for what I stand for. And I could use some social media marketing help. How does somebody go about finding out more about your company? Yeah, so you can find us at meetedgar.com. That's M-E-E-T, not M-E. 
A-T, <laughs> not like beef, Edgar. Just, just and as a vegetarian, him. I'm glad to hear that. So all the better. Uh, great. And that'll be in show notes. So uh, you can just jump on there and click the link and find out more about it as well. So anything new and exciting? Is this? Is there anything on the horizon? Any shifts or changes? Or are you guys just going to grow in infinite leaps and bounds here? What's the, what's the plan? Yeah, the plan is just to make Edgar better and better, to make the team better and better. I mean, we're hiring right now. Check out our hiring page on our website. But like I talked about before with Focus, I mean, I think part of the secret to to our success with Edgar is that we solve a very specific problem about recycling your content on social, and we've stuck to that problem. So there's a lot of things that you do on social media, right? There's tools to find influencers, and there's tools to listen for your company name and be able to respond quickly. We don't do any of those things. Things, and we probably will never do any of those things. And it allows us to just get really, really good at what it is that we do so well. Excellent. And like I said, there's a reason why I've heard Meet Edgar a hundred times over in the last couple of weeks. So <laughs> obviously what you're doing is excellent. All right. As we are coming to a close, my dear. So you're sitting here with somebody and you're the mentor and they're saying, you know, I'm getting ready to leave my job and I want to go off on my own and I'm really passionate about this thing and I've been working on it for a long time and I'm getting ready to launch. What is the single best piece of advice you could give me? To get an action on anything as quickly as possible. You can't see what works just thinking about it. And, you know, this is a mistake that we all make. It's so easy to get stuck researching and making plans. And the problem with that is, is you can't iterate. You can't make it better. So whatever you can put out, like if it's sending an email to one person saying, basically selling them something, sell someone something, you know, that's where a business starts. Right. And so to be fair, so on that, as new as you still are at this, relatively mm. speaking, I have to imagine that where you are now and where you started is, is quite different. I'm mm. sure you have iteration after iteration yep. of fine-tuning and tweaking along the way. Absolutely. I mean, that's what a business is to me. Every part of it is just you pick something you know, and that you think will work, and then you do it, and then you make it better, and you make it better, and you make it better. All right. So everybody, I think if you've listened to this podcast at all, you've certainly heard plenty of prior interviewees as well say the same thing that done is better than perfect, right? Just get out there. And, uh, and I also love the line, you know, if by the time you launch, it is perfect, you waited too long, right? Get out there. Absolutely. So just to let you know, it's, that's not my brilliance, but absolutely <laughs> true, right? Get, get out there yeah. and get started. All right. As we come to a close, my dear, very last question that I ask every single guest that I have in your entire walk of life through this journey and everything that you have done, what is the single thing that you absolutely believe to be true? Something that I think about a lot is the idea that, that you reap what you sow and to me, that's a reminder that if I want my life to be a certain way, I have to do things to make that possible, right? So if you want to find a spouse, you have to spend your time now meeting people, right? If you want to run a business, you have to learn about it. If you want to get a lot more customers, you have to do things today to make that happen. And I know that that sounds really obvious, but it's very easy to be in like dream mode and goal mode and then kind of forget to come back to what you do every day and is what I'm doing every day supporting those dreams and those goals. So, you know, reap what you sow just reminds me, am I planting the right seeds 
today? Am I focused on what I want in my life every single day? I love it. And you know, I agree with you. I think that uh, part of the confusion around setting your intention and the law of attraction is that you put it out there and suddenly a Ferrari's in your driveway. And it's great, mm-hmm. you know, that this is what you want, but exactly what are the massive actions that you're taking in order to have that happen? So I love it. I love it. I love your perspective. I love your mm-hmm. energy. I love what you're doing. And you are absolutely filling a need in the marketplace. It's a need that I have. So uh, glad that we finally talked. And I'm <laughs> sure that you're going to see my name run across your ticker tape of new customers. So yeah, so that's fantastic. So awesome. really, thank you so much. Keep up the great work and the inspiration. It's much needed out there in the world. So thank you so much, Laura, for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening in on this episode of the Game Changers podcast. The next step is to hit the subscribe button to make sure you never miss an episode or any of our incredible guests. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.